0: Well, hello, and uh, welcome to week five of our six-week program on learning to read the Bible effectively. Uh, so glad that uh, you're able to uh, join us this week and uh, to to share uh, this this uh, sessions t- session together. Uh, as you know, we've been uh, looking through various tips and tools and ideas to uh, learn to read the Bible effectively. I'll remind you that these slides and uh, a series of notes are also available uh, to download uh, wherever you've got the link for this uh, um, for this video. And in those notes, there is uh, a lot more detail that we don't cover in the, the under an hour that we try and get these sessions done in. Uh, in particular, there's a, a series or uh, section on an overview of the books of the Bible, and uh, we're not covering those. Um, and also, there's uh, there's a there's a homework or kind of an extra practice uh, section where we uh, put into practice some of the things we have been learning. So uh, take advantage of those and reach out to us if you have any questions um, about either of those things. Uh, so this week we're looking at uh, this first section on this idea of mystery. Uh, then we'll look at a few terminology sections, and even in the terminology section, we'll only cover you know three or four of the terms that are actually in the notes. Just for the sake of time, and then we'll conclude. Well, only three sessions, three sections today. Uh, conclude with a, a lengthier um, section on the Jew- Jews and the Law of Moses. So this this uh, first uh, session on on mystery is the title, which uh, sounds kind of mysterious. Um, but the word mystery, it's one of those ones where in English uh, can may- maybe conjure in your mind some some different things and. Uh, we want to make sure that we understand what the Bible means uh, when this word is used. The word mystery actually appears in the Bible, in the King James Version, and in other translations. So it's important that we understand the Bible definition for uh, of, of this word and, and other words um, that we've looked at. You know, words like soul, uh, words like hell. These, these words have come into the English and may have extra baggage with them um, that, that may or may not be what was intended when those words were used in the Bible. So this word mystery, uh, you know, it's often associated with uh, an understanding of even who God is, and we'll see that uh, if that means it's unknowable, then there is there's there's a problem with our understanding of what the word mystery means. So here in our first slide, you know, what does this say? And uh, we've got a series of of symbols there. Uh, Some of them make sense. We've got a waving hand. We've got looks like. Maybe a, a drop of blood we've got a a bomb that's about to explode we've got uh the peace sign We all know what the peace sign means we've got a star of david in there what what does this say and we could spend quite a bit of time you know suggesting what this is if this is a, a, an english phrase there it looks like there's a four-letter word and a two-letter word and a one-letter word oh a one-letter word that's either maybe an a or an i Um, and then two, four, six, a seven letter word. So, so what possibly could this be saying? Um, but really it's quite simple. And and I think we're going to see that in, in the Bible, this is what is meant by the word mystery. It's not that it's unintelligible gobbledygook. It means that we just need to know the key that unlocks it, the, the cipher, the, the, you know, to decipher it. What's the key? Uh, what's what's the what is it and and it's really not that hard um, this Says this is a mystery now How's that? Well, it's just a different font So I'm not sure what the font is at the bottom there that maybe looks like a, a thin aerial font uh, the one o'clock across the top is just Wingdings If you were to highlight that phrase and change the font from Wingdings to Arial or to Times New Roman or to something else It would say this is a mystery so in Wingdings, I think this is set one, the A is the peace sign, and the I is the waving hand, and so on. Um, and, and so the mystery is revealed. We now know what this word is, uh, or what this phrase is. It's telling us that these the, this was a mystery, but it was then revealed and we understood it. And we're going to see that this is the sense of the word mystery that's used in the Bible. So the word the word mystery actually appears in the Bible uh, in the King James Version. Um, and interestingly enough, it comes from the Greek word there we have on the screen, uh, mysterion. So we've essentially borrowed from the Greek, we've anglicized it. And the word mystery comes directly from this Greek word mysterion. Um, it's from a, a derivative. You can see the Greek letters are there. You can see that some of those letters uh, literally means to shut the mouth or shh. To whisper, it's a secret. The the mystery isn't something that's unintelligible, that could never be known. It's just, it's like a secret. It's it's the idea of silence imposed by initiation into religious rites. It, we might say it's a sacred secret. Um, but once you know it, um, you can't unknow it, and you can pass it on to those who also are are looking and searching uh, for the answer to this this question, if you will. So that's the idea there of the the biblical word mystery. Um, So it's used, for example, here in Romans 16.25. It's used extensively in, in Scripture. It says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. So there's something, there, there's like hidden treasure. There, there's something in the Bible, the gospel message, the good news, that, that many people don't know about, especially those who are uninterested or aren't even looking. But for those who have been initiated into it, those who, who are seeking for truth, the mystery's been revealed. And we're going to see that, that that mystery is revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and in God's Word. And just when we're thinking about that, a passage like this, John 17, 3, comes to mind. This is life eternal, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this is Jesus' prayer to his Father. And in his prayer, he's saying that to know you, Heavenly Father, God, and to know me, the one you sent, that's eternal life. We need to know these things. We need, to know, we need to know who God is and who Jesus is and what their relationship is as father and son, as as, as the ones who are, are trying to save us and, and redeem us from our sins. Um, this is important. Um, it can't be unknowable. So, so the word mystery can't mean unintelligible. You'll never comprehend it because eternal life depends on it. So, what does it mean to know God? Well, in Joshua 24, it says we need to fear the Lord in sincerity and truth. This is Joshua speaking to the people of his day, um, that they needed to, to know God, to fear him and serve him in sincerity and truth. And Jesus picks up on this when he's speaking to the woman at the well. He says, God is a spirit. This is John 4 24, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So so once again. The, the Whatever the mystery is in the Bible, um, it can't mean um, unknowable because we need to worship God in truth as well as in spirit. So we meet, need to be able to know God. So it was a mystery that's now been revealed. That's that's essentially the idea of of the of the Greek word, um, and we can see that here in several passages. Uh, here in Ephesians uh, three, the Apostle Paul, writing through the inspiration of God, says that you have to understand my knowledge in the mystery of of Christ. Um, It's not been made known to others in time past, but it's now been revealed by God's spirit to apostles like me and other prophets, says Paul. And Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to his saints. So even when we read the, the Old Testament, Now, reflecting back on it, we understand the Old Testament in terms of interpreting it through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifices. He is the tabernacle. He is the altars. He is the priest. And so we now can reflect on that. How how does that work? How does God forgive us? How does he redeem us? How does he save us? He does it through Christ. And and we can now look back and understand it. Now, now people always did. There were faithful men and women in the Old Testament who who did understand. But it's been fully revealed now in Christ. But to look at it through any other lens, it remains a mystery. Paul says that to some who read the Old Testament, there's like a veil over their eyes. They, They still can't see it because they're not looking through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that even in their lifetime with the Lord Jesus Christ, during during Jesus' ministry, um, they didn't understand the disciples themselves who were with Jesus 24 7 didn't understand certain aspects of of the of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. They certainly didn't understand the need for a messiah to die and be raised again. And this clearly says that in Luke 9 44, Jesus says, link, let these sayings sink down in your ears. This is one of the ones we looked at last week with the interpretations or the translations, you know, sink down into your ears. Listen carefully, ponder these things. The Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. I'm going to die. I need, I'm going to be crucified. But it says in Luke 9 44, they didn't understand. They understood not this saying. It was hid from them that they perceived it not. It was a mystery to them. They're like, Messiah dying? What? how is that possible um they they didn't get it um but when jesus was raised from the dead uh they they did then understand um john 20 verse 9 for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead so it it, it was able to be understood and they would understand it eventually but at the moment at the time um they didn't and uh, you know, I think that's that's the key. We see this idea of mystery then coming out um, in in this this language, and we then see later in um, uh, this is John twelve. It's earlier in the in the gospel record, but he's reflecting back uh, after now writing it down. It says these things understood not his disciples at the first. So during the time of John twelve, they didn't get it. But John now reflecting back on that says, but when Jesus was glorified, raised, and given eternal life and glorified, then remembered they these things that were written of him, and of his death also, and that they had done these things unto him. So he was allowed to be, you know, um crucified and punished and 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 so on. Um they understood that the, the, the rulers of the day did these things unto him. Uh, when they reflected back on it after Jesus was raised from the dead. So the mystery then made sense. It was revealed. Um, they they had the key. And they understood that Messiah had to come first to deal with sin as the lamb without blemish. And then later, he would come again. And we're still waiting for that. When he will return as king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, if you will. So the lamb and the lion. The two aspects of, of Jesus' um, advents okay they understood that later but at the time they they didn't so what is the mystery well i think it there's there's many aspects to this you know how could how would god's plan be realized we looked last week at the purpose of god it's to fill the earth with his glory well that's not happening we look around the world today and and the earth is not filled with god's glory how how is that going to happen it's it's a bit mysterious now, there's a passage that says, you know, our, our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, we haven't perceived the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. So it's still a little bit mysterious as to how that will all work. How could man be reconciled to God? We saw that in in, in Genesis chapter three when sin entered the world. Well, how's that work now? How's how's God going to, as it were, get us back to the garden? We know the earth is going to be paradise restored. How, how is that going to work How is sin going to be dealt with? Is it through sacrifices of, of animals and bulls and goats and, and and lamps is is that what it is? Is it a ritualistic thing how how, how are we going to deal with sin? How would God's kingdom be established on the earth think about think about that the promises that God made to Abraham uh, that we looked at in these many many times in the in the in the uh, previous weeks and to David a land and, and a kingdom how's that going to work? We know Abraham didn't receive the promise. We know David isn't alive today to see his son sitting on a throne. How, how, how does that work? How is that, that gonna be figured out? How, how can God dwell with with sinful man? You know, sin separates. So really the mystery is God's dealing with with sin, reconciling us to himself. And perhaps one of the biggest ones, and certainly this is a first century focus on this mystery, and it was mysterious to, to Jew and to Gentile. Is that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs? You see, Jesus, as a Messiah, crucified and then raised again from the dead. Well, to the Jews, that was a stumbling block, says Paul, because they wanted their Messiah to be uh, to be the the Almighty King, uh, you know, reigning, coming in on a you know a knight on a shining a shining armor on a white horse. Um, that's what they were expecting, and so a crucified Messiah. Well, that was that was a stumbling block for them. A resurrected Messiah? Well, that was foolishness to the to the Gentiles. Um, you know, Gentiles had all kinds of ideas about heroes and and demigods and 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 afterlife that that had nothing to do with a body. So to have a messiah killed and then resurrected, they're like, that's foolishness. That that doesn't even make sense to us. So this mystery of the reconciling of Jew and Gentile was what really is a lot of the New Testament is about. And so you have a passage like this in Isaiah 3, verse 4 to 6. Um, we, we quoted part of this earlier. Now we get the context. Whereby, when you read, that you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So that's, it's, it's this is this mystery. It's a parathletical statement here. And, and then he says, he explains it. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, but is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with the Jews and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This was like, oh, this was revolutionary to to think that Jew and Gentile were both God's people, both to be included in the in the in the ecclesia of God, the church of God, the body of Christ. This was, it was a great mystery. Um, there had always been Gentiles coming into the 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 judaistic faith you know the roots of the world and, and so on the time of david there are always ki- all kinds of of gentiles that were part of his rulership uh, team um, but they became jews as it were they converted to judaism in christ there is neither jew nor greek there's neither bond nor free we're all one in christ this was a great mystery that the the apostles in the first century had to tell others about so we see then that Jesus Christ is the solution to the mystery. He's the, he's the key that unlocks it. He deciphers it. Um, so Colossians 2, I want you to know with great, what great conflict I have for you and, and those in Laodicea. Um, but, but be encouraged, he says, in your heart to the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ, we have this, this hidden treasure, the pearl of great price that that we can find and um just to get some of the context of that from earlier in 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 colossians chapter one it says that the mystery was that we have we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins that unlocks all that mystery in christ we have forgiveness of sins which means we can live forever in a kingdom on earth with resurrected uh, the resurrected faithful of old. The, the Abraham will be there. David will be there. Jesus will be sitting on the throne. It all comes together uh, in in Abraham. All nations of the earth will be blessed, Jew and Gentile. So in Christ, then, we see that this all comes together. And just the uh, the context here, Romans sixteen, we quoted early earlier. Um, that this mystery's been kept secret since the world began, but it's now been made manifest. And now we reflect back on those prophetic scriptures and, and we see it's all fitting into place. It's been made known to all nations according to commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith. And so the mystery has been revealed. Don't don't allow this word to to stifle your investigation of God's word. Learn to read it effectively. Unlock the mystery. You pray for wisdom, and and James has assured us that God will answer you and reveal the mystery to you, and that you might know God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and and gain eternal life. So we see that in Acts chapter 8, I'm just going to put these up here, that this gospel The gospel message is not mysterious. Philip here preached Christ to them. He told them the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the gospel. And so the gospel has these these two prongs, if you will, these two aspects, the kingdom of God. That's the promises to to Abraham, land. It's the promises to to David, a kingdom. Uh, Whatever our gospel message is, whatever we're hearing, uh, whatever we're teaching, has to have that aspect of it. The kingdom of God on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the name of Jesus Christ. So there's the promises in Eden. The the, the the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent on the head. Dealing with sin. So sin is dealt with. That's when he came the first time. The second time was a return to receive his promise. The inheritance of which he was the one. He was that seed that was promised in Eden to Abraham and to David. And so in summary, then aspects of the kingdom of God involving Jesus were a mystery to the world until the Apostles' day, until Jesus actually came as the word made flesh. The things were a little bit dark, you know, that we saw through a glass darkly or dimly, but now we see it in Jesus clearly. The Apostles received an understanding of the mystery of Christ. What was once a mystery is no longer a mystery. So if you have someone tell you, oh, don't bother reading the Bible, it's all just too mysterious, you can't understand who God is. It's a mystery. That's not what the Bible means. The mystery is, it's no longer a mystery. It's a secret that's been revealed. God has revealed his plan slowly through the ages, but the revelation is now complete. Genesis to Revelation, it's all there. We search it out. We read it effectively, and we interpret it through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that is all sufficient. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God, the person of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished or complete to every good work. And that's what we're trying to do uh, with our seminars, is encouraging you to find out how to read that Bible for yourself and to read it effectively. Now, this is part three of the terminology section, and we'll go through this relatively quickly. Re- remember, there's more detail of all these things in the notes that you can download. Uh, this word meek, uh, quite often the terminology sections we ha- have highlighted here are, are words that you know maybe in, 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 um, in English um, you know have different meanings. Uh, meekness in scripture is is the idea of humility or, or lowliness or teachableness. It's not weakness um it's it's something that is is very important. It says the meek will inherit the earth. So if you want to be in God's kingdom, you need to be meek. You need to be humble. It doesn't mean you're powerless. It doesn't mean you're weak either physically, certainly not spiritually. An example of that is here in Numbers 12, 3, where Moses was, was the meekest man of, of all that were on the face of the earth at that time. You think about Moses' life experience. He certainly wasn't weak. I wouldn't have wanted to take him on. You know, At 120 years old, he was still ready to go. You know, he'd he gone through trials and difficulties. He'd been, he'd been both a, a ruler in Egypt. He'd been a lowly shepherd uh, in Midian. But certainly not a weak man, a very powerful personality leading millions of people through the wilderness. So meekness is not weakness. It's humility. And a great example of that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he is meek and lowly. And we know that Jesus certainly is not weak. Uh, this word antichrist is another one that uh is is misunderstood i think in in um, even christian circles today uh this is a great one because you can do your own study on this word um, if you're interested just search in your concordance uh, or on your device uh, in the bible searching for the word antichrist or plural antichrist it only appears i think in five times in four different verses And they're all in the epistle of John, so you can look them up and get some context. Um, And and from 1 John 2, verse 18, we learn that it's plural. There are many antichrists. It's not just a singular individual. And we know that it was there in the time of of Jesus, uh, uh, well, of of John um, in the first century. John would have been writing in the late first century. And he says, even now there are many antichrists. So yes, it will come. There is a future aspect to it, uh, but it's already there, and, and we would suggest there's been an antichrist in the world since the time of John until today. It's it's always it's, it's been it's an it's an idea, a system, a concept that is is against Christ or an opposition to Christ or in place of Christ. And in first in John 4, we're told clearly there, we've given a clue. It says, anyone who doesn't confess that Jesus came in the flesh, that's the spirit of the antichrist, the teaching, the the idea. That that is behind this, so we'll leave it there, um, but something certainly worth investigating if you want to get a true understanding of what the Bible means when it uses this term Antichrist. Um, Exhort is a word that we don't use maybe much in our modern vernacular, um, but it is an old English word, but it means to encourage or to entreat or to, to beseech. It's, you know, we may say we need to exhort each other daily. As it says here, we, we need to encourage each other, build each other up. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, the modern equivalent would be like the word sermon. It kind of that brings to mind what that might be. You know, sort of, you know, and uh, you're being told what to do or whatever. But that, that's not the idea. It's an encouragement. It's to to build you up, um, to exhort you, uh, to bring you closer to God and to Jesus Christ and and to the to, to the Bible. Um, to ex- uh, here in First Thessalonians four, we we need to urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we might be ready and prepared for the Lord's return. And, and one last one here. Um, the, the word church is is a is a very English word, um, not at all what's intended by the Greek word behind it. The Greek word behind it is this word ecclesia or klesia. Um, And it's talking about the people, the assembly, the congregation. I mean, it's not the building. You look at a passage like this, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, which also has the word mystery, um, it says that this is a great mystery, that he's speaking concerning Christ and the church, that he gave his life for the church, that he loves the church. That's obviously the people. You know, we are the people of of, of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he loves us. He gave himself for us, the people, not the building. The building is irrelevant. Um in that sense, it doesn't matter where we meet. We can meet in a home. We can meet in a rented facility. We may own a building, and that and that's fine. Uh, but these, these massive edifices, well, even Jesus, when the disciples pointed out the great temple in his day, said it's not going to be one stone left upon another because the people in that temple aren't worshiping God in spirit and truth. So it's of, of no value whatsoever. Even Solomon, when he built that magnificent temple, God said, you know, I don't dwell in temples made with hands. I dwell in people. And, and that's the same today. So just an interesting thing there when we, we use the word church, we're talking about the, the people, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ. They are the called out ones, the, the ecclesia, the people, the gathering of people. So we get into this last section here, Jews and the Law of Moses. Um, and uh, this this is fairly lengthy. It's a bit of history. I'll go through it relatively quickly. You can always review it. But it's very, very fundamental and foundational if we're going to read the Bible effectively. We need to understand um, the, the God's working with his people, the Jews, and the law that he gave them by the hand of Moses. So when reading the Bible, one cannot help but see that the Bible documents not only the plan of God for mankind and this earth in general overall but also particularly follows the history of a special people, that is the Jews. And we might understand, we might ask the question, why is that? I think there's many answers to that question. One would be that as we see God working with the Jews, we understand more about God. We learn about God, his his mercy, his grace, his long-suffering. As he deals with these people, we get an insight into how he works with people in general. The Bible outlines their birth as a people, nation and follows their development and establishment of the kingdom under david and solomon it then records the steady decline and turning away from god resulting in their exile from the land but it also records the beautiful prophecies about their regathering to the land and their future reconciliation with god at the coming of christ and that's really what we have from genesis to revelation um and 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 the people that God was working with in the Old Testament, there must be some sense in which He's still working with those people today, to give a consistency that thread that runs through Scripture. Now, it is interesting to note that the vast majority of men inspired by God to write the Bible were, in fact, Jewish. A little sort of bonus question: you might think, well, who wasn't? But you know, Moses, um, Samuel. Um uh, Daniel, all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, th- these were they were they were Jewish people. They were descendants of Abraham and they wrote the scriptures that we read in the New Testament the same. Uh, there may be a couple of exceptions. The, ma- the major promises of God were made to Jewish people. We've looked at those promises. Abraham and David. Um, of course, the promises in Eden predated Abraham. Um, but it's, it's about when it says thy descendants will inherit this land to, to Abraham. Your descendant will sit on the throne to David. Those are Jewish people he's speaking to. The kingdom of God on earth in the time of David and Solomon was in Israel. Jerusalem was their capital city. And um, so we we understand that and see that. Jesus himself, the Messiah, was Jewish. The majority of the early disciples of Christ were Jewish. Of course, the, the gospel message did go out to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnum's had to say, uh, you know, because you've put this far from this, after they were in the synagogues, always went to the Jews first. They said, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And, and Jesus said that in, in in Luke 21, 24, the times of the Gentiles are the time that come after AD 70. But primarily, um, the early disciples were Jewish. So we need to understand their history, their background, where they're coming from. Gentile believers, even today, have the hope of Israel. That's what, how Paul describes it in Acts 28, verse 20, the hope of Israel. And we have a, a passage like this um, in uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. So, The the root, as it's described in in Romans 11, the root of the tree is is Jewish. Yes, Gentiles have been grafted into that tree. Yes, we can become part of this, this plan, these covenants of promise through baptism into Christ, as we saw in Galatians 3. But it's described in this kind of language, the commonwealth of Israel, the covenants of promise. We were without hope and without God in the world. And here's the unlocking of that mystery. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's uh, delve into this and quickly look at, at, a, at a bit of history um, and uh, an understanding uh, who who the Jewish people were. Uh, we've mentioned some of this already, but they were descendants, obviously, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, that's that's their heritage. Now Abraham had other had other sons. But the 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 um, the promises came through Isaac. Isaac had a son Esau, but the promises came through Jacob. And so the Jewish people, as we know them today, trace their lineage from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was called and given promises. We reviewed these in in the first week or two of our, our seminars, um, and God clearly said, "I will make you a great nation." I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. That great nation is the nation of Israel. Uh, he was promised a seed and a land. For all the land which you see, to you will I give it, and to your seed forever. And there is a, a plural aspect of that, your descendants plural. Obviously, there's uh, the, the Jews were in the land that Abraham was promised. They had a kingdom there. They've returned to there in these last days. Um, we know there's a singular sense to that, and that's the, the mystery, right? The key is that the, the singular seed Galatians 3.16 tells us was the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a national aspect to these promises as well, and they were that was fulfilled in the people um, of, of Israel, the Jews. Uh, these promises were repeated to Isaac and Jacob, so it didn't go through... Um, it didn't go through Ishmael, Abraham's other son. It didn't go through Esau, Jacob's, um, sorry, Isaac's other son. It came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and we can see similar language here. When God's speaking to um, Jacob, he says, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. So it's repeated to to Jacob. And when, when Jacob is wrestling with the angel, that's the graphic we have here. He's wrestling with the angel. He's come back to the land after spending time with with his uncle Laban. He's received, he's got two wives, he's got children. Um, The name Jacob, of course, means supplanter or heel catcher. That was the name given to him at birth when he came out. He was holding onto the heel of his twin brother Esau. But now his name has been changed to Israel, which means prince with God or to have power with God. When you trust in God, when you work with God, that's when it when it when when good things happen don't trust in yourself don't be the heel catcher don't be the supplanter be the one who who holds on to god and and trusts in him so that's where israel comes from uh, the angel said to him your name shall no longer be called jacob but israel for you have struggled with god and with men and have prevailed and that's really been um prophetic of the existence of the nation of israel ever since they've struggled with god and with men and have prevailed at times, not, not always, you know, that Jacob's thigh was put out a joint. Uh, he, he limped, he, he suffered, he had difficulties, he had trials, but ultimately he prevails. And, and we'll see that's true of, of the nation, which now bears his name. So um, a bit of history here, you'll be familiar here. we got a picture of, of Joseph in Egypt, surrounded by his brethren who have come down to him. So Jacob's son Joseph was sold to Egypt, but then he rises to power. He's uh, second only to Pharaoh, and his people, his 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 family, uh, you know, his brothers, his nieces and nephews, his father, um, they they all come to Egypt. But they're a family. Uh, I think seventy six people came with Jacob down into Egypt. Some some number like that. But once they're in Egypt, um, that's the end of Genesis. Uh, We find out about them being taken into Egypt. But now in Exodus chapter 1, we find that the nation grows to become hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people over the intervening time. Um, Of course, they're put into slavery. Then the Egyptians are afraid of them. So they put them into slavery and they're delivered from Egypt by Moses. But now, you know, they went in as as a small family group. They come out as a nation. And so really... Um, that's why we have the law of Moses, which comes next, that they needed to be organized and structured as a nation, not just a, a family tribal group. Now, just a little bit of understanding of the semantics. We've mentioned, um, that the Jews as the descendants of Abraham are now called Israelites because Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had his name changed to Israel. So that's where Israel came from. Uh, later, they were also called Jews. Uh, Judah was one of Jacob's sons. And when the nation under after Solomon separated into a northern ten tribes under Jeroboam and a southern two tribes under Rehoboam, the northern tribes were called Israel or Ephraim. The the southern tribe was called Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And of course, that was then sort of um you know simplified or or maybe even slanged, maybe even used derogatorily as Jew from Judah. So when today in 2023, you see the name israel or hear it in the news or you hear people talking about jews that's the ancient links to jacob and to judah israel and judah and and so we understand that for you know thousands of years now this has been representative of of both this people and the land in which they dwell so why the law of moses then well it established things that, that that a nation needed Uh, It it established an an order of worship. Levites, the tabernacle, offerings. It it structured their lives um, religiously, but also civilly. There there was a civil law. There was a, a means of government. God was their king. It was a theocracy, but how are they to be structured? They weren't meant to have a king when they finally asked for a king to be like the other nations. God said to Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They rejected me as being their king. But even then, there was now a plan for what the government should look like, how it should be structured. They were a nation. And so the law of Moses provided that um, for them. And so they came out of Egypt. They could have gone into the land under Moses two years later, but because they, they didn't have faith, uh, they returned to wander in the wilderness. They, they built the tabernacle. That's the first picture there in the wilderness. Um, eventually, they did come after 40 years of wandering, 2 plus 38, an entire generation was lost, and the next generation came in under Joshua, um, and, and so grew the period of the judges after Joshua um, died. They were ruled over by, by judges, eventually then kings, but they raised, they, they, they came to their zenith, if you will, under Solomon. There's an example, a picture there of the temple being built, a magnificent temple under Solomon. All the nations came to see Solomon. It was... He was uh, you know, a prime figure in the in the in the in the world, but then a quick decline after Solomon. and eventually they're taken away into captivity to Babylon. Um, they return under Nehemiah and Ezra. We have the time of Christ. and then of course Jerusalem is is finally destroyed by the the Romans in AD17. Here's a graphic from the taken from the Arch of Titus that you can see today. And, and there's the Roman uh, legions carrying away spoil from Jerusalem. There's the, the seven-branched candlestick or the menorah from the temple. And and so it was completely wiped out in AD 70. In fact, uh, Jerusalem no longer existed. It was renamed. Uh, the people were scattered into all parts of the world. And for almost 2,000 years, there was no place called Israel. Um, and, and Jerusalem, as Jesus says in Luke 21, verse 24, was trodden down of the Gentiles. But that's going to change. Um, now, um, as we mentioned, as a summary here. The wilderness wanderings and the entire generation is lost. You know, interesting thing about the Bible. It is a record of the history of the Jews, but it's not a typical record. Um, it doesn't just show all the good things. You know, you read the accounts of the Assyrian kings and it's all... You know how amazing they were all their victories never really talks about the things that went poorly not true for the the history of the jewish nation in the bible um there we see you know warts and all as we say the good the bad and the ugly so the wilderness wanderings and generation is lost the period of the judges is this ongoing cycle uh sin suffering seeking god and salvation so the people sin they worship idols God sends another nation to punish them they you know the Midianites or whoever it is uh, they the people turn to God and uh, pray for for relief they send a, he sends a savior or a judge and then things go well for for a while maybe 20 years maybe 40 years and then they 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 sin again and we get into this this cycle and it's all there it's all revealed to us probably because we can relate to that maybe our life goes in cycles like that The glory and decline, the the period of the kings, it clearly says in Ezekiel, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. Zedekiah um, Zedekiah was the last king. Um, But the verse goes on to say, until he comes, whose right it is. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he unlocks that mystery. Jesus, the, the crucifixion of the Messiah, he came to his own and his own received him not. They didn't even accept Jesus when he came the first time. Um, as we've mentioned a couple of times, Jerusalem, will be trodden down of the Gentiles. This has all been prophesied and, and we understand now events in the world today in light of these Bible prophecies, the Jews were scattered to all nations, but they would return in the last days. And, uh, Romans 11 would be a good read. Um, take the time to read it through. It begins with, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. You know, that emphatic, no way. Uh, God still has a, a dealing with his people um, in, in, of natural Israel. They will be grafted back into that olive tree, but it's going to take a lot. Um, but we, we consider a passage here, like Jeremiah verse Jeremiah 30, verses 10 and 11. Um, God, God says, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, or, or Yahweh, as we learned last week. Nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar, your seed from the land of their captivity. So yes, they're going to go into captivity because of disobedience and sin, but I'm going to bring them back. Um, Jacob shall return. They shall have rest and be quiet. No one will make them afraid. And we still haven't seen the the end of that, but we've seen the beginnings of it. Look at this verse, verse 11. For I am with you, says Yahweh, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet will I not make a complete end of you. So where's Babylon today? Where's the Medes and Persians today? You know, even the, even the, the the great empire of Greece is a, is a shadow of its former self. He says, but I will correct you in justice. I will not let you go altogether unpunished. And so we see this, how God works with his people. And we can understand that's how he works with us. You know, Hebrews 12 talks about not despising the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. The Lord brings circumstances into our life um, to make us, in the end, better people. Um, This is how he works with us. Uh, It's interesting, Mark Twain, the famous author himself, uh, said the following, all things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? It perhaps was a mystery to Mark Twain, or maybe he's knows it it's just posing it to, to make other people think about it because we know the answer. What is the secret? What's the mystery of his immortality? It's that they are God's chosen people and God still has a purpose with them. And so their future has been foretold. Uh, the last few uh, chapters of Zechariah, um, this picture here is taken of a, a paint, uh, an artist's rendition of what it might've been like in AD 70. And we believe there's going to be, according to scripture, A similar experience for the Jews in the land today. Perhaps we're seeing some of that uh, in our news even this day. Um, So Zechariah 14 speaks of a great battle. Zechariah 13 of the suffering, the Zechariah 12, the cry for deliverance, that that they'll see Jesus and say, you know, who, who are you that delivered us? And they'll see the wounds in his hands and his feet, and they'll they'll recognize their Messiah. And, And Zechariah 14 goes on to explain the great, the glorious hope. It's, this is really the the, the establishment of, of God's kingdom um, on earth. And and the Jews will play a role in that, along with the Gentile believers from all ages. Um, that's what clip, scripture clearly says. And, and Jesus himself alluded to this in Luke 13, when, when he looked at Jerusalem and he saw in his mind's eye the destruction that was coming, when not one stone would be left upon another that wouldn't be thrown down. He saw the destruction that was coming. And he says, your house is left unto you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Jerusalem, as it were, Um, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's that word until. Jerusalem shall be trodden down until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And all these things are coming together. All of God's promises, all of the, the teachings of the New Testament, the gospel message of the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ are all culminating in in the lord's second return when all this will come together and um uh, god's kingdom will be established on earth and jesus will reign in righteousness from jerusalem so um that is our our um uh that is the the hope of the scripture and uh at at that point this is the the end of our um week five here again i would encourage you to uh, look at the notes and to perhaps review the video Uh, to look at the homework the homework for week five is on translations that we looked at last week and now we have to be careful about translations that can uh, perhaps lead us astray or give us wrong ideas so it's a very interesting test case that'll help you work through that Um, and there's of course more proof that the the word the bible is god's word and uh, so um, i thank you for listening i i pray that uh, god will bless you in your reading of his word uh, that uh, as you try to read it effectively, as you put into practice some of the things that we've been uh, looking at uh, in the in these series, uh, that you'll be blessed in that. Uh, and that you will join us for the last one, week six, as we wrap things up and bring it to conclusion. Uh, and we'll have that for you uh, next week, God willing. And so uh, in the meantime, uh, may God bless you as you read, pray to him for wisdom and guidance as you read effectively. And uh, I pray that uh, things will unfold for you. The mystery will be revealed. And so uh, take care and God bless.